the truth is younger people are very much interested in business. They're very much interested in technology. They're interested in politics, in issues that affect them every other day. But if that is not packaged in a language, in a tone that appeals to them, then they feel alienated. They feel left out. My name is Franny Joey and I am a journalist, but I do a lot of things. I teach media, especially mobile journalism, writing for social media. I do media training, uh, focusing on women running for political office because politicians need the media. And I also am part of a team that recently created a very interesting reality TV show in Kenya called Miss President. What are you currently working on? I've been on a break because last year was quite intense. And so 2020 has started off on, on a low note, which is good for me because I feel like last year I kind of overachieved. So what I'm working on currently is closing Miss President, which was a, a, a big success. Miss President might look like it wasn't um, a journalism project, but a lot of things um, that we create as part of media content to me relates a lot to journalism because it contributes to the narrative about Africa, which I'm very concerned about, the kind of programming and the kind of content that is there on Kenyan television and available for African audiences it shouldn't just be limited to journalism, but to entertainment as well. There'll be people listening to this and have no clue about the Miss President program. So briefly, just tell me, what was that about? If they didn't get to watch Miss President, then they missed out on the biggest thing for African content last year. So Miss President was a reality TV show where Kenyan women were competing to become Kenya's first female president. So... My team and I, the team from Media Focus in Africa, that's the organization that created the concept, we traveled across Kenya and we did auditions. We called out on women to apply to become Kenya's first female president. So we got women from across the country and we put them in what we call the Miss President Academy, where they went through leadership training and exposure to uh, governance and constitutional matters. And then they were voting themselves out of the academy and finally when we had the top five contestants then the Kenyan public voted for their first female president. Um, this was very exciting because we got a lot of publicity. It was one of a kind and I say one of a kind because many times on television or on radio or generally in the media women are mainly featured on you know beauty shows and cooking shows and there's been a lot of debate as to why women and the media are not involved in the so-called serious things in governance and economy. So for the first time in Kenya, we had just a special show dedicated to women talking about national and international matters. Um, so this, this, was, this was really exciting. Actually, the president of Kenya himself gave us audience in State House. And he invited the top five contestants to join him to a state function. 
so it was it was really good. We got also a lot of um, media coverage. Uh, quite a good number of journalists um, covered this, and um, it's kind of um, you know created um, a new narrative about how programming and content that portrays or tells the story of women in Africa. Is, is beginning to change. I mean, that that's a brilliant uh, idea that you just uh, uh, put out there and it looks like uh, it was quite successful. But then there is the all, the other issue of, um, you know, diversity and women uh, in newsrooms. I mean, c- can you just a little bit talk about what's that like? Because yes, you can create content for women, but what about having women journalists in Kenyan newsrooms? Yeah, th- this is something that's, I have been personally concerned about, and in the past I've also done projects where I work with journalists, producers, and editors on gender sensitivity for news content. And just two years ago in Kenya, there was a movement called Deconstructing Manels. Manels, you know, panels. And from panels, we have manners. So mm-hmm. manners were panels that were co- that would consist of only male interviewees. And um, myself and many other Kenyan journalists and people who are keen on diversity for content, we really made a lot of noise about, you know, not having diverse voices represented in the media. And so we fronted uh, qualified women who could contribute on matters on economy, national security, international relations. And we began to see some change. And there were also times when we, we had meetings, discussions with editors and producers, just to try and, and make them see the bigger picture. You know, some of this is what we call unconscious bias, because if I am a male editor and I've grown up in a society or in a space that is largely patriarchal, then it's almost natural for me to always think of my male colleague to invite on the show. So they don't do this because they they don't think that women are qualified. It's just that they are so unconscious. They don't even realize they're doing it. So making them conscious of this, talking to them about it, having discussions about this, and actually encouraging more qualified women to volunteer themselves to speak on matters, finance, internal security, and so-called tough topics. And what about women journalists? Well, women journalists have have made great strides uh, because now we have quite a number of, well, I don't have the statistics, but I'm you know, from my life experience, I can say a lot of my female colleagues have grown up the ranks, have, you know, climbed the ladder in the corporate newsrooms. So there are quite a number of women who've grown their careers, but the general feeling is that we need more women. And when I speak about the general feeling, that's because I am part of the Media Association of Women in Kenya. This is a group that brings together Kenyan uh, women journalists. And every other day when we have discussions on our WhatsApp group or when we meet, there's still a feeling that not enough women are taking up leadership positions in the newsrooms. And that directly impacts on 
diversity for news coverage and the voices in the news. And just the other thing that uh, I just kind of want to hear your your point of view is, is about younger audiences because uh, there is an obsession really, uh, you know, in uh, legacy media. Uh, everyone is trying to reach uh, the so-called TikTok generation. You work uh, in this space. Uh, any advice you can uh, you can give or any... Uh, comment you can give about the best strategies or how best to re- uh, to stay relevant to uh, that kind of elusive uh, audience? Well, there is a stereotype that younger people or young people like entertainment. Well, everybody likes entertainment. Um, but I think the reason why that stereotype is growing and making it more difficult for younger people to be considered in you know, in creation of news or or news being created to target that demographic is the fact that people who create content, news content, are still stuck in the mindset that younger people only like entertainment. But that's not true. It's just that when you sit down to watch legacy media, especially business news, it's really speaking to people who are quite senior, you know, the language, the style, um, the tone, they're not speaking to younger people at all. And the truth is younger people are very much interested in business. They're very much interested in technology. They're interested in politics, in issues that affect them every other day. But if that is not packaged in a language, in a tone that appeals to them, then they feel alienated. They feel left out. So you find that a lot of young people consume their news online. uh, And that's because, and online, I mean, social media in Kenya, it's mainly Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, uh, because content that's on that platform seems to to be more accessible to them, to be more easily, to be packaged in, in brief. Uh, it's true that younger people are impatient, and so they, they might not sit down for a, um, you know, an hour to read an in-depth analysis. And that's not to mean that they don't like to read, but the nature of, of online content is just that people online read shorter, briefer, you know, content that is packaged in a social way, content that is shareable. And I think legacy media uh, is still catching up on that. And, and what, I mean, you, you talked about mobile journalism. Uh, just briefly tell me about, you know, when, when, you, go, when you started on that and what, are, what do you see are the opportunities in mobile journalism? Yes, so two years ago, I started a project called Kenya Media Week at Media Focus in Africa. And the reason I started this project is because every time I wanted to attend a journalism conference, a well-organized journalism conference, it happened to be on the other side of the world, either in New York or London or South Africa. That's really far away. You know, that means I have to take maybe a week off work and I have to pay for the air ticket and get a visa. That's so much work, you know. So I thought, why don't we have a locally well-organized media conference. And why are conferences important? Because they update you on what's going on in industry. It's the time when you step back from your daily work and, 
you know, once again, digest everything and uh, dissect everything and see, you know, where are we getting it right? Where are we getting it wrong? What's what's next for the future? So Media Week has been quite successful, although I must say I wish I had more senior journalists attending. Um, it, it has attracted a lot of junior journalists, which is good because the junior journalists are the future. Uh, because the seniors will will retire or move on to other things. Um, and my focus for Media Week has a lot to do with mobile journalism because um, mobile phones are a new opportunity for people in the newsrooms, for people creating content. With a mobile phone, you can create a story without having to go to an edit suit or to go to a studio. Edit suits and studios are quite expensive to construct, install, and maintain. But if you can produce a quality video or audio story on your mobile phone, that's a shortcut. That's cost cutting. That's um, the skills for mobile journalism could take shorter to learn and practice compared to traditional video editing where you had to learn a complicated software and practice a lot to get good at it. But with simple mobile apps, you know, anyone who's interested in it can learn the skills really fast and produce good content at a low cost. And this, this is really good for entrepreneurs in media because I've managed to work with some of them and they've created media companies that are purely producing content on mobile. So they don't have to invest millions of dollars in a properly, um, in a proper studio, uh, which is quite expensive to construct, you know. So I think mobile journalism is a, is a fantastic opportunity for now and for the future. And it's not just fantastic because it's good for cost cutting, it's fantastic because it's gonna create diversity. So I've seen a lot of young journalists who, after graduating, they don't have to go for these very highly competitive jobs like at the BBC, but they can start, you know, reporting very powerful stories just with their mobile phones. And they break stories, you know, they, they get scoops and they kind of become a brand of their own. And that's, that's an opportunity that is so good you know the, the sort of stuff that you do you know working with these young journalists teaching them all the skills about mobile journalism and how to fact check um and how to tell stories i mean are they not getting that kind of um, training and grounding in journalism schools well the journalism schools here have done their fair share of the job which i congratulate them on but things are changing really fast. And what I mean by things are changing fast is technology is moving fast and faster than the curriculum is catching up with it. So I was in School of Journalism not so long ago, less than 10 years ago, maybe. Is that very long ago? <laughs> I guess that's not very long ago. And we didn't have programs on mobile journalism. Now, immediately after I left School of Journalism, I joined the BBC and the BBC was already um, keen on mobile journalism, you know, doing your story on mobile, not just producing it on mobile, but also writing it for mobile audiences. That wasn't taught at School of Journalism. And so when I started my job, I had to, I had to learn on the job. I, I had to do more courses at the BBC Academy and I had to really practice it. So 
um, a lot of journalism schools here are yet to fully adopt you know, mobile journalism as part of the curriculum. And so these part-time courses that I teach um, are really helping, you know, journalists to catch up with, with trends in technology. And I must say some journalism schools like the Aga Khan University, where I, I used to teach, have really done a good job, you know, creating just a course on digital. Th that's really good. So um, I'm sure that many other journalism schools in Kenya and in Africa will be catching up and I'm offering myself to teach, to be part of faculty. <laughs> Great. So those who are listening, Freni is available. Yes. And, and the one thing that I, I keep on asking uh, the people that uh, I, I speak to uh, for this podcast is um, what I... I think is an important um, thing. I, I don't know. You, some of them agree with me. Some of them disagree. Uh, and that is, you know, do you feel a sense that we as journalists have kind of got to the point where with all the disruption that is happening uh, and the pub, you know, we are no longer the agenda setters. People are not coming to us necessarily for news. Uh, they'll probably come to us for context. But do you think we need to do more to explain our processes, why we do what we do, our limitations, so that our, we basically carry our audience to this new world where it looks like we'll have to coexist with them because they are also content creators? Well, I really like the challenge that um, technology has brought to journalism and that, you know, taking away from us the sole power of breaking the story and telling the story. Because with mobile and with technology, anyone can, can break the story, anyone can tell the story. But I must say that the space for journalism still remains sacred. And sacred is a strong word to use, and I like to use it because journalism, you know, holds power to account. Not everyone can be able to do that. Journalism, I see it as an institution uh, and an institution that that is very important and that is part of democracy. Because like you said, that people come to us for context. Uh, journalists, you know, are kind of the first people to write history. And so we are able to to put things into context. And, and also this there's, there's a way that people believe that good journalists um, have credibility. So what happens these days is someone who is not a journalist but is a good content creator can break a story that is factual, that's been verified. But what you see is people still come back to legacy media to verify. So um, that gives me hope that the, the sacredness of the institution of journalism is still relevant. But I must say that we've been really put to task to explain our relevance. And I remember just um, last, late last year, during the last Media Week event, we had a debate on who is a journalist. And the debate was very heated because a lot of traditional journalists, and when I say traditional journalists, I mean people who work in newsrooms, people who went to J school, and they've, they've had a, um, a journalism career all their lives. They believe that a journalist should go to J school and should work in a newsroom. Where the other category of people believe anyone can be a journalist because a journalist means you are creating content that's truthful, that's verifiable, that's objective, that's independent. 
So I don't think it is there's a yes or no or or there's here or there about who is a journalist. What we should be really concerned about is content that is truthful, content that is objective, and content that has that the people who are creating this content should have a type or a degree of independence. Um, and I also think that the fact that many other people out there are now able to create content creates space for diversity, which is which is really good for democracy because the more voices that are out there, then the bigger of a pic- the bigger picture will be out there as well. Now, finally, I mean, I can't let you go before um, just hear a little bit about what you thought about and just your experience uh, about producing and working on um, uh, this documentary that was just recently released. And it's about China's uh, media presence and media influence in Kenya uh, that went out um, on the BBC last week. Um Maybe for those who have not listened, I mean, what can I can they expect uh, to to get from from that documentary that you did? And maybe you can also share kind of your insights about the whole experience and what you think about you know the whole Chinese presence, a media presence and influence in Kenya. First of all, I just want to say that the the documentary was part of a larger series being done by the BBC from across many countries in the world, including Australia, India, um, and Kenya. So Chinese media presence in Kenya, it still speaks to the diversity because for a very long time in Kenya and in many, you know, former British colonies, people have grown up with the BBC as the epitome of good journalism and as the place to go to for good content. And apart from the BBC, people have gone to CNN um, and then after this, after CNN, now we've had Al Jazeera, which is the voice from the Middle East. So it has. I think we, uh, the media is the media space is growing. There's, and it's not just you know the traditional British voice, American. Now we have Middle East, and now we are having China or Asia. You know. So it speaks to the diversity and and the growing. Uh, of the space and diverse voices. Uh, but there's also another side to it. You know, China's fronting itself as the new power for Kenya to work with, economic power, political power. And so they have an agenda. And how best can you push an agenda if not by using the media? Uh, but I don't think that Kenyans need to worry because all these other foreign media have been there in Kenya and that hasn't stopped Kenyan media or Kenyan journalists from growing, from telling their own stories. In fact, today, I'm not worried at all, even if we have, you know, a million foreign media coming to Kenya to sell their agenda because Kenyan journalists are very mature, they're very strong, they're very independent, they're strong-minded and left on their own to produce content they will still produce very good content for Kenya and for Africa. And I must tell you that if you look at a lot of staffers in international media, quite a number of them are Kenyan, uh, grown, Kenyan trained, Kenyan based. So it's it's a good thing 
But we just need to be careful not to have, you know, foreign media coming to Kenya and to Africa to tell our story using their lens. We need to be strong enough to be able to stand for ourselves and say, hey, this is Africa. This is our home. This is what is happening here. And I believe we are already doing that, but we need to do it more. That was Franny Joey, journalist and media consultant in Kenya. You can now download my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, if you have an Android phone, and it's also on Spotify and SoundCloud. Just search for my name, Dickens Olewe. And of course, leave a rating when you find it. If you have any questions or comments, I'm always on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. And as always, thank you so much for listening and for your comments. And until next time, bye-bye.